Hello and welcome to another episode of Back to the Grid. I'm your host this week, Tom, and I'm joined as always by Chris. Hello. And by Stu. Hello. Gentlemen, we have a Belgian Grand Prix to look forward to. Roughly around the same time as usual for once. This yeah, season. this is like the one that's on time. <laughs> Before we get into that, can I just say how much better it is when we actually have the theme tune to lead us in? it's a lot easier isn't it it's so much it it just gets you on that vibe doesn't it so much more anyway yeah yeah, belgian gp little peek behind the technical curtain (laughs) yes um well yeah before we get too far into said belgian gp there is some news from around the paddock to discuss um most notably the sale of williams um i'll let Chris, take the reins, because he's bullet point man right now. <laughs> <laughs> bullet point man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it was reported, it was, what, two or three months ago that Williams were sort of exploring options for their future. It's now been confirmed that they have been sold, basically, in their entirety to Dorilton Capital? Dorilton Capital? Dorito Capital. Dorito Capital. Imagine. They're only livery. one N away from Dorito Capital there. That would be much more exciting Just news, wouldn't it? And an, yeah. and an L. Maybe they'd, put, they'd have to put a Wankel engine in it for that too. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on that triangle brand. And I just got to say Wankel in a podcast. <laughs> now we're going to have to bleep that. <laughs> yes, please do. Yes, Dorilton Capital I'm going for, uh, who are an mm. uh, American investment firm. It looks like they just sort of invest in whatever, like a massive range of things. This is their first sort of foray into the world of sport, but they seem to specialize in kind of helping medium-sized companies uh, improve where they need to to be better, which is kind of where Williams are and what they need, I guess. Mm. Um, the statement said, Dorilton Capital is a private investment firm headquartered in the United States with a strong track record of building and enhancing companies with a flexible and patient investment style. Dorilton <laughs> recognizes and appreciates the importance of respecting and retaining Williams' heritage and culture and is committed to maintaining its identity. The team will continue to race and compete under the Williams brand with the chassis name remaining unchanged. Dorilton has no plans to relocate the team from Grove, its traditional home. All of which seems to be why Williams went with the... Because it sounds like they had a few offers on the table, but it seems that Mm -hmm. the main reason they went with this option is that they have no interest in rebranding it with something else, with shipping the whole company to America, with changing anything like that. They seem to... And it's kind of what we said at the time, I think. It's like any investors would be mad to throw away the Williams name because there's so much... Heritage, heritage and history yeah. that comes with it yeah yeah absolutely and there was a key word that stood out in um in that statement for me and it's probably the same one for you too patient yes <laughs> yeah patience yeah. will be required in this investment i think yeah i'm sh- sure it's been stressed to them that this is not something i can throw money at and turn fortunes around overnight because that's not how f1 works <laughs> no definitely not but i think that they'll steer them in the right direction in terms of the financial front 100 like i don't particularly know any of the any of the other companies they're involved in mainly because they're they're purely american they're not, they don't really exist over this side of the yeah world, there's no ones that most people will have heard of i don't yeah, think yeah i mm-hmm. imagine that they're all 
fairly well in order. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Am I so, right in thinking that they sold the um, advanced engineering part of their business to... They sold a majority stake of it. They still hold a small stake in it, but they don't right. fully control it anymore. Yeah. So mm. that minority stake now is part of the Dorilton Capital. Um, okay. And is it just me? Or did, when was that? They sold that quite a few years ago, wasn't it now? Like three or four years ago they sold the... Uh, I thought it was a bit more recent than that, to be honest. Oh, I was it was maybe last year or the year before. It, it just seemed... I don't know if I said it at the time, but it seems like a short-sighted thing to do, to sell the, mm. the most profitable part of the business. I thought that as well. I do wonder if part of their plan now is to maybe try and buy back the stake that was sold to bring it all back under one roof, potentially. Yeah, I mean, that would be the sensible thing to do, wouldn't it? Like The, the reason McLaren are, are successful and they've managed to dig themselves out of like the sort of hole they got in at the start of the COVID crisis is because they've got a really good business on the side of Formula yeah. One. You know? But they are primarily a racing team, but the road car division is obviously very profitable and makes them a heck of cash. Yeah. So to, imagine if they just sold that overnight, then surely the team would... would is taking money from that, and if that source of revenue suddenly disappears, then they're going to tumble down the grid because the money's not going to be there to develop the car, right? Yeah. So why would Williams have sold that part of their team in the first place? It's such weird a choice, strange wasn't decision. It? Yeah. Really weird choice. Speaking of McLaren, I did see someone point out that I think it's the six F1 teams based in the UK now, but none of them are under UK ownership anymore. Like you've got, mm. obviously, McLaren are owned... Um, primarily yeah. by uh, Bahraini royal family. Mercedes based in the UK, but they're obviously German. Red Bull, Austrian, Renault, French, and now Williams, technically American, um, at least in yeah. terms of ownership. Uh, yeah. The statement also said that the deal's got unanimous support from the Williams board, which includes um, Sir Frank Williams. It's kind of unclear if Frank and Claire Williams are going to sort of continue in their positions going forward, at the very least in the short term. I think it sounds like the personnel are going to stay the same and the new investors are just kind of going to watch and observe and ask questions for a little while and then kind of work out the next steps from there. But going forward sort of next season and beyond, we don't really know yet if they're going to start bringing in their own people, potentially even bringing in a new team principal to take over from uh, Claire Williams. Mm. I mean, I I hate to say this because you, you do kind of, Williams team, they've always had someone from the Williams family sort of on or very near to the helm of that of that yeah. team. And I'm sorry to say it, but I think after all this time, for the team to have gone in the direction it has gone under the leadership it's been under, something has to change, doesn't it? it unfortunately, the way they work just isn't really viable anymore, is it? I mean... Well, I don't, I don't know how they're working, but something in terms of leadership like they're not anywhere near the front well in fact they're obviously much nearer to the back than they ever have been so something definitely needs to change doesn't it yeah yeah i mean it's just untenable to keep the people in charge in the same position especially any investor is surely going to be looking at sort of getting new people in at the top to sort of shake things up a bit because if if they don't then it's just going to continue in the same direction i think Well, I mean, this is a pretty massive change from Williams in terms of the ownership anyway to sort of, it seems like they're finally accepted this year that 
continuing to run it as a kind of family-owned team as they have in all these years just isn't really viable anymore. So mm. perhaps as part of that, they also accept that if uh, someone else thinks there are better people out there to run the team, then perhaps it's time they will accept that as well. I mean, it's it, on one hand, it's sad to see kind of the last of the true privateer family-owned teams disappearing, but at the same time, it's happening in a way that's keeping the Williams name in F1. And for at least what's said so far, sounds like being done in a way that's going to secure that team's future and all those jobs for some time now. So it still feels like positive news overall. Yeah, I think you've got to take that bigger picture, to be mm. totally honest. It, like you say, it's, it's a shame that the true privateer aspect of Williams might start to fade away, but... I'd rather see them on the grid and, and being able to compete under that Williams name still than disappear completely. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. And I think this is probably the only way you were ever going to achieve that. Like They've tried, obviously, bringing money in through drivers that have significant financial backing, but it's not enough. The, the problem is, is that that doesn't necessarily pay for enough of their high-end staff that they need to to build the right car doesn't mm. necessarily mean you're going to end up with a driver in the car that's able to give you the feedback you need to develop a higher-end car like it you can't just stick to effective paid drivers in the car and and hope for the best can you we, we've seen that from them over the last few years that that philosophy sadly doesn't work um even with like massa taking a step down to go there and help them and having to pay a driver alongside Massa doesn't work, does it? No, I, it, the, I guess the question there is that you raise is sort of what is a privateer team in 2020? I mean, to me, McLaren still technically has a privateer element to it, does it not? Because I agree with that, yeah. They, they, yeah. From an aero perspective, they're building that car themselves and they're just sticking a power unit from a given supplier that they've chosen whether it's been Mercedes, Renault, Honda, whatever it's been over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, that's what they tell us. That's what they tell well, us. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, like, to me, McLaren, are, I would consider... Uh, I would consider McLaren and Williams probably the last two. I think... Racing I Point, th would you call Racing Point a private uh, team? Yeah, Racing, Racing Point probably would be as well, yeah. Racing Point? Oof, different I know, Racing <laughs> different Point. Different team altogether. I guess, hmm. yeah, I guess the difference is... Williams and I guess Racing Point primarily exist to go racing, whereas McLaren these days kind of exist to sell cars. Like the only reason yeah, McLaren true. have gone over to IndyCar really is to sell more cars in America. Sure, you but know, is that not a product of of being a successful privateer team though? Yeah, it is. It's not a negative thing necessarily. Um, it just oh, no, is. no, no. I don't think it's a negative thing, but I just think. If you there comes a point as a as any any privateer team that is immensely successful in motorsport will eventually expand and and do other yeah. things. So does that make them not a privateer team anymore, or does that make them a hyper successful sports team that of of you know transcended put, put yeah transcended the sport and put mm. many fingers into different pies. And then that does that come back into the sport and make them even more dominant in the sport? You know, many, many yeah. years ago, you'd say Mercedes were a privateer team, right? It's only because they've been immensely successful selling road cars that they're, that they're able to pump money back into the sport and back into their team to make them even more successful. I think the proper definition 
would be the fact that you're having to purchase essentially your power unit because um and you, you're not manufacturer backed so the difference for someone like say the alpha team or um someone like that would be that is technically a manufacturer team even though they use a ferrari power unit that's because alpha and ferrari are both part of the fiat group like there's a mm. link there essentially um and it's like if you had more than one member of the VW group on the grid or something, and there were yeah. there, there were different brand names. They're they're manufacturer teams to me. McLaren's a, a private team that doesn't have any allegiance to any manufacturer and doesn't bring from an engine perspective and doesn't bring in um, their own engine. So to mm. me, that's technically still a privateer, even if they put road cars out. Right. Okay, so uh, my, ne- my next I don't know if that's then. a proper definition. That's my definition of it. Yeah. So ha- where would Aston Martin fit into your definition of that next season? And when Aston Martin, because they're going to be buying engines from Renault? Mercedes. Oh, Mercedes. Mercedes. Sorry, Mercedes. Mercedes. Yeah. And they're going to be in the former racing point team, but Aston Martin do sell their own road cars. So does that it's- make them some sort of strange hybrid? Or yeah, I'd say that's morphing them more into being a factory team because you're looking at a team there that's a manufacturer-backed Aston Martin team, and they're using the the same engine supplier as they're doing their road cars. Yeah, it's not so like you, they build you, their own engines anyway, is it? Yeah, yeah. like the you the, the that that Aston to Merck relationship is kind of already there in the same way that like I would consider Alpha a works team, even though they've got the Ferrari engine in the back and not an Alpha branded engine. It comes because they're part of the same family yeah. of. Um, of car manufacturers. I know that Aston and Mercedes aren't like officially linked or anything. Um, no. Not part of the same. Well, would they group, not be a customer but... team then? Mm, I... Maybe, I guess. A I modern know. customer, I guess, a because mo- a customer team used to be we buy a, a chassis and aero and everything from you, and we will be your customer and we will run the same car as you. Right? That was the that was how it was yeah. in the sort of mid two thousands. Yeah. You'd, Whereas you'd now more, you buy more of the components as a customer team, yeah. wouldn't you? Whereas now, I guess a modern customer team in 2020 would be Racing Point in relation to a Mercedes. Yeah, so they're buying, like, obviously, it's a pink Mercedes. <laughs> like every, everyone knows that. So to, to the absolute limit of the rules, they are buying everything they can as a customer from Mercedes. Therefore, you'd call, I'd call them a customer team. I wouldn't call them a privateer team. Right now, yeah. this season, I wouldn't call them a privateer team. Um, whereas I guess the difference between those guys and say um, a Williams or a, or a McLaren is that the only thing that they're buying off of Mercedes or Renault as the case may be, or well, Mercedes next season, I guess for McLaren is the engine and the rest of it, mm-hmm. they're kind of doing yeah. their own version of most stuff. And in that respect, Haas is a customer team, isn't it? Yeah, because completely. They, they're essentially buying old components and reworking them from Ferrari. That, mm. that was the whole thing yeah, that I mean, was going Haas, on there. Haas would not exist in F1 if not for the deal they have with Ferrari. Yeah, you know, a shadow yeah. of a doubt. So, and so it, I guess it, it led them like... to being like moderately competitive, didn't it, when they hit the grid? Yeah. Like they sort of hit the grid as a new team and could compete mm. in the midfield because they were, they were essentially doing something similar to what Racing Point are doing, which is like driving the previous year's Ferrari more or less. Mm. Yeah. Except because so, they were doing it with Ferrari, no one sort of battered an eye because it's Ferrari I, I, involved. Yeah, I I know you, you the, that's a bit tongue in cheek, but I genuinely <laughs> would like to see the the exact comparison of 
what Haas bought and what they did with it compared to what Racing Point did and what they did with it. Because it, it comes back to something I was saying, I think, last week, which is like, it's not like it's the first time somebody's gone to a team and bought stuff off them. So no, what, it won't be what, last I, I want to know what's what's different, essentially. It would yeah. be nice if someone could put out some clarity of, this is what Haas did, and it's why it wasn't a big deal. This is the different thing that Racing Point have done, and why it's so much more of an issue for I the I think that the, the, the difference is getting caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or just... the, di- the difference is being moderately successful with what has been yeah. used. I yeah. think that's the key thing, is how yeah, many points yeah. they're scoring with it. I don't think yeah. Hass are as blatant with it either. Like there, there were definitely massive similarities, but it wasn't like a carbon copy. Like uh, they hid it mm. better, didn't they? they, they were, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess like being the being the kind of car that the livery sort of hid it quite well. I think on the on the um, on the Haas because it was like, so it boring. You didn't want to look at it <laughs> yeah, for more than ten it seconds. Just, well, yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't on TV that much. They kept the time sort of to a reasonable. They probably ran them heavy for the most part, <laughs> just to <laughs> not get into trouble. Suddenly, that dull um, grey livery makes a lot more sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Suddenly, when your car's pink and everyone can see every part of it, and they notice that it's the very <laughs> same colours, another quite brightly coloured car from compared to last season, like then it sta- it does stand out more, doesn't it? You, you do think, yeah. oh goodness, that does look a lot more like a Mercedes than <laughs> I guess the Haas did a yes, Ferrari. It's true. Um, so we were talking about Williams. Where does that leave Williams? Does that, does that make does it now make sense for Williams to be a customer of another team um, to get them back up into the points to make a bit more cash? Maybe just for a couple of seasons until they can sort of recuperate and get a bit more money behind them, and then have another go at, at sort of making their own car. I guess it depends on who they can get in technically. For me, like if they can get if they can get back to a the height like. What it was, eighties and nineties, wasn't it? Where they were, they were one of the teams pushing technical regulations to the limit and and finding loopholes and, and making these in, these insane developments that put them at the top of the field. And if they can bring back names that that were able to do that for them, and and get those get those people running departments that they need to be running, then there's nothing wrong with them having another go at doing it themselves. But it's whether or not this investment can draw in those people that can do the right thing in the right role, I think, for me. At which point, yeah. that's when they need to debate whether they do look at being a customer team to to whatever extent they can. I mean, so I would say they're a more attractive prospect for someone to go and start working for today than they were a week ago. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're gonna have. There's an element of security now, isn't there? You're not, you're not, yeah. you, you wouldn't feel like you were going into a team that's sort of hobbling along in the way that and you Im- exactly you were a yeah. week ago. And imagine if you were the person that came into that team and used that investment to turn that team around. Technically, you'd be like everybody. Yeah, totally. Would would be all over well, like, that. Like, like Pat be, Fry. you're the next Patrick. Yeah, you're. Well, you're the next Pat Fry, Patrick Head. Adrian Newey, whoever it might be, like all these names that come up, like you'd be the next one of those if you could go into that team mm. and turn it on its head and get things moving again by by strategically using that investment to the best of its potential. Yeah. Do they? Ex- do those people exist anymore? Do you think? It, I, I can't. I, can't I, I think they still exist. These. Yeah, they might not be in F one, but they still exist. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I just wonder if the car's too complicated these days for anyone to sort of come in from, and and and, and engineers are so specialised these days as well that yeah, it'd be it'd be very difficult for one individual to come in and um you know and sort of have the silver bullet that made their car fast. Like the re- one of the reasons I think Mercedes are successful is because they've got a very very strong leadership at the very top of it in um, Toto Wolf. And he's obviously he's a very shrewd businessman, and he's very good at that side of it. But into any, he's he has a good understanding of engineers engineering, as far as I know. But like, he's not known for being an engineer, is it? No. He so what he's doing is he's hiring yeah. people. He's hiring the right people in the correct roles and the, the the correct specialists for the correct parts of the car, and he's got them all working in perfect harmony. And that's what's making that car so good. And if you're looking for the next Adrian Newey or the next whoever is going to design, you know, the next big thing in Formula One, I just don't think that person's out there. I think it's it's a team. It's more of a team of people. You need to you sort of assemble yeah, the true. Avengers of car design. If you well, like. that's it's, what it's kind McLaren of what Mercedes have done, isn't do. It? And McLaren, have, yeah, McLaren have been doing the same thing. Mercedes have had it for a while now, and McLaren have kind of got to that point where where they're in that kind of position as well. So it's it is more of a team. Like having just Adrian Newey at Red Bull is not enough anymore, is it? Like you can't just rely on that one guy to come up with this amazing aero exactly. incentive that suddenly saves you two seconds on the track. It yeah. just I mean, doesn't happen not like that happen. anymore. Yeah. I mean, aero is obviously a very dominant feature, and I think they are obviously always going to spend more money on their lead aerodynamicist than they are, say, their lead um, chassis engineer, I would have thought. but Because that's where most of the gains are, are to be had, isn't it? Yeah. The chassis is the chassis, and it there's only so much stiffness you can build into it and so much mechanical grip you can build into it, and they're sort of at the limit of of what's possible within this rule set now so until there's a big change on the chassis side then you're not really going to get any sort of new developments in that region it's still going to be aero and there's a big aero change coming in 2021 sorry 2022 now so if those cars are already half developed as well like who do williams hire to to sort of get them back on the straight and narrow that's, that's a tough question, isn't it? Like, it I don't is, know. It like, is. I don't... But again, I... McLaren did it. McLaren proved it can be done. Like they, they were right at the back, and they had someone come in and say the way we're running things doesn't work. They restructured. They bought in people to be in more kind of specialized leadership roles rather than have like one or two people doing everything from the top down. And it's worked for them. So I wouldn't be surprised if Williams start using that as a model for how they can move forward. Yeah. For all we know, yeah. they could already be doing that and they've just got totally the wrong team of people doing it and they're yes, unable to possible. work together. And I think, you know, the, the key is getting all those people working together. You can hire the best aerodynamicist in the world, the best chassis engineer, the best, um, you know, tire guy. You can get the best everyone in your team. If you can't get them people, those people working together, then you're never going to win anything. I mean, you only have to look at the Paddy Lowe saga to see that exactly. something to do with the way they're putting that team together just plain wasn't working then and presumably isn't working as well now because although they're moving forward, it's not nearly fast enough, is it? Yeah, I mean, the whole Paddy Lowe thing, like, I don't feel like that was necessarily Paddy Lowe's fault with that That's team. That's another like- someone needs to write a book situation, isn't it? <laughs> 
Yeah, I, and yeah. I would totally read that. Like <laughs> after my tenth time of reading Adrian Newey's How to Build a oh, Here we go. I would definitely. Oh, that's the tenth time you've mentioned it this season know, as well. I, <laughs> um, I would definitely be reading Paddy Lowe's, but I, I'm really curious to know what happened there because he's probably been sworn to secrecy with all kinds of you know NDAs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but quite possibly. I, based on what I've read about Williams and what I know about Williams from sort of other books that I've read in motorsport. Part of me thinks that Paddy Lowe wasn't the problem. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Yeah. It's fine with hell, be, I guess. I'd be inclined to agree with you from what I've read of like what drivers have said as well. Specifically. Yeah. yeah. I suppose. I suppose what we could do is rather than getting deeper into a hole of <laughs> where do we point the blame at Williams, we could look yeah. at the next piece of news, which is the Concord. Well, shall we just try and end on a positive about Williams first? Because we're kind of like <laughs> no. <down> the hole. <laughs> they signed the Concord Agreement. That's a positive. <laughs> yeah, and they they sort of said the signing of the Concord Agreement was a big part of them being able to bring these new investors in, because obviously that changes things financially quite a lot going forward. Uh, but yeah, the new Concord Agreement has been now been signed by all ten teams. It covers five seasons starting next year. It, technically, it ties all 10 of the current teams to Formula One for that next five years. In reality, if anyone decides I've had enough and wants to bounce, there are ways around it, but it definitely shores things up a little more, you know, the, especially the rumblings of like whether Mercedes want to carry on or not. It now seems like we're probably going to have these 10 teams for a good few years, yeah, which is good. Um, we've sort of covered what's in it before, but to quickly go over it, uh, it brings in the cost cap. It's been talked about a lot. And it changes the sharing of prize money. So it's a $145 million cost cap next year, which drops to $140 million the following year, and then $135 million from 2023 onwards. The prize money, 50% of it is split completely equally between the teams. The other 50%, as things currently are, is awarded based on championship position on a kind of sliding scale. But the way that sliding scale works has been sort of compressed a lot. So the winning team gets less and the bot team gets a bit more. The They're sort of getting rid of the kind of heritage um, or historic significance or whatever yes. you want to call it, uh, payments that Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren and Williams used to get. Instead, they're bringing in a top three bonus. So there's a pool of money that's shared among teams that have finished in the top three at any point over the last 10 years and... The more you've done that, the more money you get from that pool. But as soon as you haven't been in the top three for 10 years, you then fall out of that pool and new teams will replace you. Ferrari are retaining their rules veto, which you will be less happy about. No. (laughs) Supposedly, it's a cut-back version of it that only lets them veto things under certain circumstances, but the details of that don't seem to be public. It is worth mentioning that Ferrari, although they have this veto, they hardly ever use it. I think they've used it once in the last like 10 or 15 years. Yeah. But it remains. It's just so stupid. Why even bother? They're also keeping their long-standing team bonus, although that's apparently Whoa. being cut in half to $70 million. Oh. Um, so presumably right now it's $140 million. <laughs> However, an interesting point is that even though they're still getting this $70 million just for being Ferrari, they can't actually use it to build anything on their car because there's a budget cap. So it'll just be going to sit in the Ferrari bank account. Um, So although they're still getting that, it doesn't change the fact that every team's now working to a budget cap, which Hmm. is a good thing. What's the budget cap going to be again? 
So it's 100, 145 million next year, and then it goes down for five million in the next two years. So I mean, they're still gonna, they'll still be able to use it up until the limit of the budget cap, though, right? Well, they'd be able to use it. They wouldn't have to pull in money from somewhere else, would they? I guess. So it's not they wouldn't be able to use it. It's that if they funded the car through other means, they wouldn't be able to utilize that investment or that kickback, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's not mm. like without the 70 million bonus, they'll be struggling to make the budget cap. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. But it's, I mean, in, in that, if that's the case, then why even bother giving it to them? Because they're Ferrari. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I forgot the Ferrari, aren't they? <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's, they get special treatment. Yeah, I remember now. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'd, I'd just like to point out as well that the one argument that I saw for Ferrari getting this is they're the most successful team. They've won the most races. All the, right. the exact counter argument was they've also competed in a heck of a lot <laughs> yeah, more exactly. races than most of the teams. Like, yeah. And the, the teams that are right behind them in terms of win percentage have got like 15 to 25 years less in the sport in them. Yeah. Some even more than that. Like, it's not a valid excuse to just throw 70 million I just, at them. No yeah, way. I mean, it's just that nothing could be less sporting than giving a team such a huge advantage from, you know, the first day of the season. It's just bonkers. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it's something the other teams have just kind of accepted as Ferrari won't shut up if we don't let them have something. And they know with the budget cap, it's not really actually giving them an advantage anymore. Like in previous years, it was 140 million well, or more dollars that they could spend on development. There are certain, whereas it's not. There are certain things that don't go into the budget cap, though, aren't there? So things like drivers, salaries, salaries and, stuff, and yeah. things like that yeah. don't go in. I don't and know why marketing, else I don't think, comes under it either. So, so they can basically I mean, afford to still have the best driver, even if they make a dog of a car oh wait they've already done that this season haven't they <laughs> two of the best drivers in the sport and can't give them the car to do the job but again i, mean, I suppose there's nothing to worry about because even with the i mean they've had 140 million extra this year and they're absolutely nowhere so exactly more or less money is not really ferrari's problem right now is it yeah 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 i can feel Stu seething i <laughs> really am seething I can, like, I it, can it drives feel... me mad I, i've it, ranted it... so much on this podcast about how they shouldn't get it <laughs> And they've had an opportunity to sort of high of like things being more in in the general favor of other teams to such a low of but Ferrari is still getting it. Yeah, this piece has been a roller coaster. I will admit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's crazy. I think it's absolute madness to give. You know, imagine if imagine if you gave Manchester United or Manchester City literally double what any other team what what some of the bottom teams were even going to use all season to sign players with at the start of the season there'd be riots on the streets well i mean a risk of getting into a completely different podcast i think in terms of television money that kind of is the case in football but that's no, gen- generally as far as i know the, the premier league do do quite a good job of splitting that fairly evenly What's shocking is the way that like teams that get relegated get ridiculous amounts of money for the yeah. But like you say, that's an entirely different failure podcast. payments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You failed at this at this division. Have lots of money to try and get back again. Yeah. Oh, let's not get let's not get into that. Yeah, exactly. I guess <laughs> on the flip podcast. side for you though, Stu, the way things currently go, and it looks like Ferrari will struggle to get into that top three uh, payment pool. So I guess that will balance things. Yeah. Out so like, where are Ferrari? <laughs> Let's have a look at Ferrari's record over the last ten years, shall we? Just really quickly before we move on to the next thing. So Ferrari F1 team, the most reliable source of information, Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia. Yeah. 
So while you're scanning through that, um, the way this top three pool essentially works is they take the previous 10 seasons, they give the team that won the championship three points, the team that came second two points, and the team that came third one point, and then they rank the teams, and then the prize money is then dished out throughout that ranking. The higher you are, the more you get out of that pool, basically. Mm -mm. So Mercedes going to get hella money. Yes. And, you know, Ferrari have been pretty consistently top three as well, I would say. So they're probably still going to be in for a decent decent amount. Okay. So, uh, okay. last. Uh, I mean, they're still going to... So 2010, third, 11... Basically, from 2010 to 2019, there's only one season where they were outside of the top 10, and that was 2014 when they were... Four, sorry, top, out of the top three, and that was 2014 when they were fourth. So does yeah, that so automatically they... take them out of that because they they have to... No, it just it. means for that year they won't get any points to put them in the table. Yeah. It's going gonna, gonna to essentially be Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, isn't it, over the last 10 years? Yeah. You've uh, expected. Yeah. Williams as well. Williams were third a uh, couple of seasons, 2014-2015, uh, so they'll still be in that mix. Yeah. Um, Don't McLaren lie. Well. That, that wasn't that <laughs> recent. <laughs> I know, right? Don't lie to me. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, that's kind of that. That really, it's it's after all the the wrangling and there was lots of talk at Silverstone about how long this is going to go on and how Mercedes didn't want to sign it, but they've just all done it now. So that's good. It's it's all that shored up for five years now, and hopefully these rules will do what they're designed to and bring the field close together. And to be yeah. fair to Liberty Media, when they first came in. This is a lot of stuff they talked about wanting to do, and yeah. most people, us included, I think, all said that's that's a lovely thing to suggest on paper, but in reality, no one's ever going to agree to that. And mm. they've sort of made it happen. Um, it's maybe not yeah. completely what they wanted to do, but it's it's pretty damn close. So it's not yeah, far it's, off, it's, is it? It's not, not far, far off at all. In there, I think that uh, st- you know, not to not to flog it, but <laughs> the Ferrari thing, they probably could have done a little bit more on, but. Yeah, what can you do? I think like? to get them down as much as they have is probably an achievement, though, in itself. Yeah. To take away, from, uh, yeah, take away as much as they have. You know, They've taken do, quite a lot of way from, away from Ferrari there. Do they bring that much to the sport? There's one race where the stands are packed for Ferrari and everywhere else is people, the Formula One fans, they're not Ferrari fans. I just don't believe. I mean, may, I, they've, got the, they've got the information. They've got all the stats. They've got all the surveys. Maybe Ferrari have much more significance um, to F1 than I'm I mean, from the time for. I spend on the internet, there's definitely a lot of A, Ferrari fans and B, Mercedes fans out there. But where are Ferrari going to go? Like, no one's going to go and watch Ferrari compete in IndyCar. No one's going to go and watch Ferrari compete in World Endurance Championship. No one cares if Ferrari go and do GT cars, you know? Like, people want to yeah. see Ferrari in F1. So Ferrari are as desperate to stay in F1 as F1 are to keep them. Yeah, they, they need each other, ultimately. Yeah. yeah. I'd say Ferrari need F1 a lot more than F1 needs Ferrari. I don't know. I bet if you looked at the uh, the sales stats for the F1 um, official shop, I bet Ferrari merchandise is far ahead of any other team. You see a lot of scarlet caps around. An awful lot of scarlet caps around. A lot. And yeah. that, anyway, we've 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 done <laughs> this many times. Yeah, we have, we've done this so many times. Just, yeah, let's move on. Just quickly, a last newsy thing: the qualifying engine mode, party mode ban that's been talked about for a while. It's supposed to come in for this next race. It's now been postponed until Italy. The it essentially means teams have to use the same engine modes in qualifying in the race now. 
the FIA kind of raised a few points about why they're doing this. Um, they said they're concerned that teams are kind of requesting changes based on reliability, but that's actually kind of indirectly letting them run engines higher because they're trading reliability for performance. They also said it's becoming harder and more time-consuming for them to ensure teams are following the technical regs because the engines and like hardware and software are becoming so complex. And they also said that engine mode stuff tends to be instructions directly to the driver from the pit wall, which is potentially contravening the driver must drive alone and unaided rule. Potentially. I mean, they know their rules. Like, are, well, they, yeah. are they breaking the rule or not? Well, in reality, is all that not a mask to the reality of it, which is they're just trying to slow Mercedes down a bit? <laughs> the, the irony well, yeah. is I saw something that uh, Toto Wolf said, which is, is quite plausible. And he basically turned around and said, to be fair, this this rule change could actually give us better mm. race pace because ultimately what they'd do is they'd run the car lower in quality because they don't need to push it as much in quality as, as what they currently are. And that would potentially give them more life in the engine. Exactly, to yeah. To put towards yeah. race pace. Yeah, and, you're right. And like, if you're running the car at 75% race and 100% quality, all you do is bring it down to like 85% permanently. Sure, you've lost a little bit of that one lap pace, but you've suddenly got 10% <laughs> exactly, yeah. more for a race. Like, yeah. It's and it's it's a very legit threat of if you do this, we'll probably just get faster in a race. It so, yeah. feels a bit of a knee jerk reaction that's actually going to make no difference whatsoever. Yeah, and possibly yeah. even make the situation even worse. Yeah, oh, who'd have thunk that? And uh, of a knee jerk <laughs> reaction, I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, crazy, right? Worse after knee jerk reactions. <laughs> who knew? And <laughs> um, that's about it, news wise. I think. We've got a little bit of a preview for the 2021 green, haven't we now? With Things are starting to shape up for that. Um, yeah, I mean, we normally do this in the summer break, but there kind of isn't one this year. Yeah, this is as close. Yeah, this one now. week is the yeah, summer break. This, <laughs> that, that is, this is the summer break. Um, yeah, so in terms of confirmed lineups at the moment, we've got Ferrari are fully signed up with Leclerc and Sainz. McLaren are signed up with Ricardo and Norris. Renault have Alonso and Ocon. And Williams have Latifi and Russell. Mercedes have got Bottas confirmed, but now the Concord agreement's in place. I'd imagine it's only a matter of time before Hamilton is confirmed at some point during this season. Yeah. So that doesn't leave a huge amount left on the grid, but <laughs> we can go through them in sort of little steps and just have a quick chat about the remaining teams and what options are open out there, I guess. Um, so looking at Red Bull... Uh, as in the Red Bull family, which includes uh, Alpha Tauri. Um, we've also got a question on this, actually, which I'll go into. Um, Ronnie Flatman said, I know you briefly talked about this during the Spanish GP podcast, but do you think there is something to do with Red Bull pressuring every other driver that, uh, uh, other than Verstappen, or do you just think he is actually that much better than Albon and Gasly? So that mm. kind of, I guess, comes into the whole Red Bull saga, doesn't it's, it? Yeah. I think the thing, the trouble is with that, I don't think we're ever going to know the answer to that question unless Red Bull break with tradition and put an experienced driver in that seat rather than promoting up through their young driver program as they always do. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, what I mean, their options for next year for the Red Bull seat basically are Albon, 
probably Albon or Gasly, I would say, at this point. I don't think Kvyat's ever going to make that step back up at this point, is he? I mean, Gasly quite handily outperforming Kvyat this season. But yeah, yeah, like... like, I I can see it staying as is, if I'm honest. I Um, think that's most likely. I would love to see them go a bit left field and stick someone like Hulkenberg or Perez in that second seat. And... I think that would, at the very least, give everyone the answer as to is it the way Red Bull handle that second seat in their second drivers or is it just that mm. Verstappen is ludicrously good and he's getting probably more out of that car than it mm. um, is able I'm, to do? I mean, normally. I don't think there's a huge dispute over Verstappen's talent. It's just how much of a gulf there is to everybody else that's sitting in the seat with him, isn't it? Or how much that that setup is essentially tailored to him. Yeah, it's like not it's... suiting whoever's sitting alongside him. Yeah, because I think there's a bit of him and Ricardo didn't have too much of a difference between them, if memory serves correctly. Like Ricardo managed all right, didn't he? With him, he, he managed just didn't better want to than be any part... of the other number two drivers. Have, exactly, but he didn't want to he be a number two driver, did he? He just didn't want to be sidelined for for like the golden boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he yeah. just didn't want to be a, a, an afterthought essentially within the team. Which but he is didn't struggle to compete against him, did he? So I don't think it's purely that Max is this truly like amazing mm. talent that nobody will ever be able to match because Ricardo's done it. Yeah, I think I, I it's think... maybe just a driving style combined with a pressure thing. It's like there's there's a lot on whoever sits in that second seat, isn't there? Mm. For sure. Well, I think I think probably the car was already going away from Ricardo and moving towards Verstappen in terms of design. Anyway, yeah. I think that's probably one of the reasons why Ricardo wanted out because he yeah. he probably wasn't getting his way. He probably wasn't getting what he wanted from the team because they were very clearly putting everything into this young Max Verstappen, who is the next big thing, and and he is the next big thing. He well, he is the big thing now, really, isn't he? If you yeah. look at yeah. sort of, you know, if you look at who driver of the day is every race weekend, then. It tells you all you need to know. He's got a lot of fans. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves him, and he's very, very talented. He's probably up there with Hamilton at the moment. In terms of the drivers competing with him in the same team, obviously, it's very difficult to compete with a driver when the car has been when you've when you've had a constant in that team for a number of years now, and that car is very, very clearly, you know, edged towards his preference mm. compared to the number two car. Even even after a season after, you know. Albon started, he's had an opportunity to have some impact over the design of it. You're not telling me for one second that he's had more say over the design of that car than Verstappen's had. And I think <laughs> that's close. And I think that's part of the reason why Albon's a bit further behind this season, because Max Verstappen yeah. is so talented that he can probably have them design into that car a disadvantage for his other driver and adapt himself <laughs> better than they can. To, to to drive it. I'm not kidding. Like, I, if I was that good, <laughs> then yeah. I'd probably do the same thing. Just it's an intentionally make it ridiculously oversteering. <laughs> Maybe that's what Leclerc yeah. does to Vettel. That's why Vettel goes <laughs> round all the time. I mean, I've seen people who know more about this stuff than me say that Albon is probably closer to Verstappen in terms of driving style and what he wants from a car than Gasly or Kvyat were. But even then, he's he's still struggling. Like I don't think he deserves nearly as much of the um, 
the pressure he seems to be getting from the media and from people online this season. But there's no doubt that he is struggling this year. Like there's yeah. qualifying, especially he really has a lot of pace to find. Mm. But well, all that said, I do agree, Tom, that I think the most likely thing is that they will stay put for next season with yeah, their driver like, lineup. Essentially, Verstappen's the only one that's fully committed there, isn't it? Because he's got the contract until 2023. And yeah. then all the others are up at the end of the season because usually most of the other seats at Red Bull and yeah. Alpha Tower are like one-year deals, aren't they, a lot well, of the time? Well, all the other drivers also have a Red Bull family contract, not a yeah. Red Bull racing contract, so they can be moved backwards and forwards as the uh, yeah. management see fit, as yeah. we've seen on many occasions. Yep. Um mm. I mean, there's a couple of potentials. Um, Yuki Tsunoda in F2 at the minute um, doesn't currently have enough super license points, but should do after completing a season in F2. I believe he needs a top four or top five finish to get enough points. Yeah, which he's looking very yeah, likely for. for. Yeah, um, and I noticed from your notes, like would suit a Honda powered team well you could see a Honda trying maybe trying to push very much so towards getting him in at least the Alpha Tauri or something like that uh, Yuri Vips is another one I've mentioned him before I think it was last season I was hoping to maybe see him uh, step up into testing or something like that but um, he's struggling to get super license points at the minute yeah um, he's been really unlucky actually his so. uh, Red Bull sent him off to do um, super formula this year as they tend to do with their drivers they've run out of seats for but as a result of um travel restrictions right now he's gonna have to miss at least a couple maybe three rounds of the season now um which kind of ruled him out of being able to get any decent super license points this year at all which is a shame for him yeah would i guess he, he if he ever did make it to f1 he'd probably be the first estonian in an f1 car wouldn't he <sighs> I would have. I would assume. I mean, not a spring into mind right now. Put it that way. I, I, I can't think of anyone. No. Mm. So fun fact. Yeah, I think he would be like. If anyone does know of one, <laughs> yeah, feel let free us know. to tweet. Yeah. Feel free Facebook to lambast whatever us on the internet. Me, but yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he would be the first. So that'd be mm. pretty cool. Do you think Kvyat's days might be numbered in F1? Um. He's I not mean, particularly had a bad year, had he? Has he so far? He's just been a bit, I don't know, nondescript. <laughs> he's not been yeah. good. He's been a bit absent. He's not being yeah. particularly um, noticeable, has he? Really? Yeah, yeah and exactly. I think ultimately that team exists to for somewhere for the next generation of Red Bull drivers to be. And I just cannot yeah. see a situation where Kavia ever steps back up. Yeah, I mean, Gasly's, yeah, I Gasly's that, highly unlikely, but I think even he's got more of a chance than Kvyat does. It's so bizarre that he's even in that team when they've got a bit of a queue forming behind him at this point. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. like, the it's reason because is they ran because... out of drivers, isn't yeah, it? They did, didn't they didn't, they? Yeah. The others didn't have super license points, essentially. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, honestly, actually going back a little bit on what I said, depending on where um, Sonoda finishes in F2... I wouldn't be totally surprised to see him step up into the Alpha Tauri mm. yeah. if, if there's enough super license points there. Um, Kvyat down, yeah, down in 16th on two points and yeah. um, Gasly up in 13th on 14 points championship. It's <laughs> yeah. a big difference, big difference isn't, it? isn't it? Yeah. Yes, Sonoda's definitely, <laughs> Sonoda's definitely um, my pick, I think. I, th- I, I think. Yeah. I think Gasly-Sonoda is the most likely lineup there next year, unless... 
it's kind of in Snowden's own hands at this point, isn't it? Unless he really yeah, I, cocks up the rest of this F2 season <laughs> and drops really far down. But I think that's where it's in the balance, isn't it? He's either going to end up staying in the same form more than likely, or if Snowden does finish high enough to get enough super license points, then he will quite likely take Kvyat's seat. Yeah. I, I could see Honda pushing for that as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's been so. quite a while since we've had a Japanese driver in F1, hasn't it? I think Oof, um, Kobayashi was probably the last one, and he was around yes. in, what, 2010, 2011, maybe, his last season? It's been pre-hybrid. quite a long time. Yeah, definitely pre-hybrid. Yes. Um, other teams on the grid that we need to talk about, Alfa Romeo, um, the big one here is, is Kimi really going to stay after the season that he's having at the moment? Um I mean, there's, a, there's, what, three potential Ferrari youngsters in F2 at the minute. So you've got Callum Eilat and Robert Schwartzman uh, and then Mick Schumacher. All three of those are Ferrari Academy drivers and all three of them are doing pretty well this season so yeah. far in F2. And there was a there's a point where it was all three of them essentially duking it out for the lead of the title. So... <laughs> Do we think we're going to see one of them up there moving up next year? Yeah, well, Ferrari have actually got five F2 drivers this season. I, I wrote those three down because they're the most likely, but they've also got um, the other two, Giuliano Lacey and Marcus Armstrong. Of course. Also around, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So Ferrari are now in the, they're, uh, they're now in the uh, Red Bull position. They really are. So yeah. many drivers, they don't know what to do with them. I th- kind of feel like this F2 championship is now becoming a race for that Alfa Romeo seat. Because as we yeah. know, whoever wins the F2 title can't go back to F2 next season. Yeah. Um, mm. the, I I only hope that Ferrari choose who takes that seat based on merit and don't do the marketable thing and give it to Mick Schumacher because Mick Schumacher for me is third in that queue. At best it, right well, now. It, it literally is in terms of standings as well. Yeah. Like, realistically, it's between Isla and Schwartzman. They're, they're the two that are properly duking it out for the title. Yeah. Um, and I fifth, think it he? should be between them two for the seat, if I'm honest. Yeah, um, agreed. I think Schumacher probably needs another year of F2. But yeah. Isla and Schwartzman would both be... I'd, I'd love to see either of them get that seat, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't want to see someone promoted that's not won a race in the F2. Exactly, yeah. The season I, in an ideal world, yeah. Schumacher's totally, totally. not won one yet. I don't don't get me wrong; he's got a few podiums, but he's not won this season. Um, and I think he just needs to just needs that extra year. Yeah. The other question at Alfa Romeo is: so we know basically Ferrari have one of the two seats, and they get to put their driver in it, which right now is Giovinazzi. Do we think they would? the people at Alfa Romeo would want to shuffle Giovinazzi into the seat that they control? Do you think he's done enough to warrant mm. keeping that seat? Are they going to yeah. want to get rid of him to bring in someone more experienced to replace Kimi? I mean, there's... It's a difficult one because of the season Kimi's having at the minute. It is. I, I feel like he's losing interest very quickly and I also think that the, the team are not doing their best around him, in all honesty. The t- the t- it feels like the team are letting him down a lot. So it's it's a little bit hard to judge Gio against him. 
I think, at this particular moment. I would maybe suggest that you end up with two Ferrari drivers in the, yeah. in that car next year, and whoever whoever like performs keeps the Ferrari seat, the official Ferrari seat, and then it's up to Alpha if they ditch the other and and request another one to be brought up, find their own driver or whatever it might be. But I, I've got a feeling that total change would not help Alpha's situation. Mm. So if Kimi was going. They need some stability to keep yeah, the around, yeah. I think, for well, next I think, season. I think the thing that's damaging Alfa Romeo's situation the most is the fact that they are the junior Ferrari team. They're never going to beat Ferrari yeah. when they're the junior, just like just like um, Toro Rosso are never really going to be able to properly beat Red Bull. And I kind of think if you are the junior team, then just go all in and have two junior Ferrari drivers in there <laughs> Why and not? get on yeah. with it. Yeah, like, totally. You're never going to win a championship. With, the, with with two kids in there, you're never going to win a championship with one kid in there to that level and and one you know old timer in there if you like. So just take the money, accept your existence as the number two <laughs> Ferrari team, and get on with it. Because yeah. while when you choose to be in that position, that's what you get. I'm afraid you're not going to be yeah. winning races. Yeah, I mean, the argument against that is that you want a more experienced driver in to help develop the car. But then again, if you do that and put all that uh, pressure of helping develop the car on the experienced driver's shoulders, that's actually one less thing you're learning about the young driver because that's a, yeah. it's a skill as a driver is to help the team develop the car. Very so true. Yeah, yeah. It, just look at George Russell. Like He's clearly yeah. got that skill under his belt. Otherwise, he wouldn't mm. be doing as well as he is. I mean, Williams. it is... Yeah, totally. I mean, there's there's been supposedly Hulkenberg has been talking to Alfa Romeo um, even before the uh, he turned up at Silverstone. Apparently, he'd already been talking to them. But honestly, if it were up to me, I'd kind of go with what you guys are saying. Like, let's have a wholesale change, bring in whichever of the two F2 drivers do the best. Um, I mean, let's face it, Giovinazzi is never going to get a Ferrari seat. Uh, they want no. they want to do what Alpha Tower do, which is literally mm. just take take the higher F two finishers that are within the the Ferrari system that aren't ready for Ferrari yet. They they just want to take them, mm. and essentially that's if those drivers are as skilled as they've shown to be in lower formulas, they will help get that car into decent midfield finishing positions and help the team develop it to a degree, but. What it doesn't, what doesn't help is when the Ferrari is as honestly as garbage as it is right now. Look, the Ferrari can't really compete at the front, so all the all the customer teams, your Haas and your Alpha, your your sister teams, whatever you want to call them, they're struggling just as much with the midfield race, and they're falling to the back of that. Yeah, because th- that car just isn't on the same level as the other cars around it. So I, I don't know what I don't know what two F two drivers would help with that, but no, I mean they might be able to if we if we feel like George has helped at Williams, which we think he might have, then maybe give like an Eilat or a, a Schwartzman a chance. Eilat and Schwartzman would be such a good lineup at that team next year. I'd really yeah. like that. It would. Yeah. So um, speaking of other Ferrari powered cars, which we kind of touched on just for a brief second there, Haas. Um, They've not changed their lineup in four years, interestingly, in no. the entire time they've existed. And at the end of every one of those years, we've said Grosjean's definitely going to go now. <laughs> he never does. Yeah, maybe Silver Magnuson. Um, yeah, the, the drivers don't seem to relate to one another in terms of 
driving style and what they both want out of the team and the car. Um, it's been another one that Hulk's been linked with. Could be somewhere that like an outgoing Perez ends up if if he is being replaced at uh, Racing Point slash Aston Martin. Um, do you know what? On that point, a Hulk Perez combo again at somewhere like Haas could actually do them the world of good. Yeah, because they had a couple of years together at Force India, didn't they? Yeah, and did was it Sauber as well? Did they have a did? They've both been. They both bounced around a little bit between Force India as it was and Sauber. It's as hard it was. to keep track, isn't it? The times have changed. They both went backwards yeah. and forwards a little bit there, and they definitely raced together at one point. And I think it was it was only at Force India, but they kind of kept taking each other's seats, didn't they? And going backwards and forwards. Yeah. So I do think Haas need some sort of change. Yeah. Magnussen mm. might have done enough to stick around. They're just both such. They're both really inconsistent, aren't they? Like on their day, they're both fantastic, but they also have times when they're both hot-headed or just slow or mistake-prone. There's a there's a fundamental problem at that team, and I think it is it's the it's the relationship between the drivers. So the problem they compete so hard against each other because the way that that team has handled those driver contracts over the last sort of few years, keeping them on, you know, really short, especially Grosjean, really short term contracts. It sort of pits them against each other in a really kind of nasty yeah. way. And mm, there's two drivers that, that are both very kind of like temperamental and they don't handle that situation very well. And I think what's damaged that team more than anything and damage their position in the championship now and the development of the car is the fact that, again, it comes back down to the development of the car and the relationship between the two drivers. So both drivers probably want different things. And instead of that team taking one side and going with you know what a driver wants and having a number one, having a clear number one driver, which would probably help Haas, instead they've got this sort of halfway house between what both drivers want and then end up with an absolute dog of a car. So yeah. yeah. Because the best it's... thing they could do is get two. I think new drivers, just two new drivers next there next season. I think they need to reset. Because you hear a lot of complaining coming out of Haas, but it's not very often you hear them both complaining about the same thing on the True. same yeah. day, is it? So, how do you develop a car when you gain different feedback different from your two drivers? Yeah, exactly. I think the other thing is as well that um, there's a there's a significant difference I find between when. Uh, Vettel, Leclerc, Verstappen, Lewis, people like that. When all those kind of drivers come on the radio during like a race, quality practice, whenever it is, to to essentially make a complaint about the car, they're very measured. They're very specific about what's wrong and what needs fixing. Like it, it will be a, a specific complaint of I need more front end. It's washing away on me. I, like, I'm getting oversteering this turn. This is happening. To, and they can pinpoint it. Whenever you hear those kind of complaints from the likes of Grosjean and Magnussen, it's just like, oh, the, the car's just not right today. It's just oversteer everywhere. And I don't know what we're going to do to fix it. Like they don't, they don't appear to have the idea of what needs to be changed or they're not yeah. willing to put forward what needs to be changed. They've probably tried everything already. <laughs> That's what well, I'm... yeah. It could be that. <laughs> it kind of feels like this is the worst car I've ever driven is becoming Grosjean's version of the, these are the best fans in the world, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Well, 
I don't know. What, what, who can you see being at Haas next year? Hart, Hart wants Hulk and Perez. Because <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> to see them together again and actually see them maybe help that team develop mm. a bit. Whether it'll happen is a completely other story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hulk, I mean, it'd be nice to see Hulkenberg just in Formula One. And if that's at Haas, then fair. I don't think it's the best place for Hulkenberg. I think Hulkenberg would probably be better off in some other team. Maybe even, I'd, you know, I prefer to see Hulkenberg at Williams than Haas. <laughs> yeah. But that's not going to happen, obviously. Um, I don't really, to be honest, Haas are not a team that I care enough about. <laughs> To care, <laughs> to have any strong feelings, in, about. to have a strong feeling about who's in that seat. Yeah, Grosjean. <laughs> I think the logic is definitely get rid of both drivers and and just have a fresh start. Yeah, but which is probably something that they're considering, given what I just said. If if what I've just said is accurate, I don't hundred. But obviously, you never really know for sure what you're saying is accurate because they're also secretive. Um. Who you know? Who do you put in that seat? Let's think. Yeah, there's Hulkenberg and Perez, I suppose. Hulkenberg probably would make some sense. It'd be interesting to see what he could do with it, if anything. Um, I don't want to see Hulkenberg come into the sport and just, you know, really struggle. Which I think yeah, if he did I, come I, to Haas, he would. I think, and if he went to a different team, then maybe it'd be, that'd be less likely. Um, Perez again, you know who knows what's going to happen to Perez, but um, I, for me, I don't really. I, I'd, I'd much rather see uh, maybe some, you know, some new drivers in in there. Maybe some some of the F two drivers coming up from because we've got yeah, quite a good uh, good field in F two this year, and a lot of them are going to be stuck without a drive next year in all likelihood. So yeah. it'd be great to see well, some of those guys given a chance in uh, one of the lower performing F one teams. I mean, Haas get engines and various parts from ferrari yeah it's not out of the question that ferrari will say we'll give you a stick discount Schumacher on these uh yeah we'll give you a discount yeah. on these barge boards if you stick one of our young drivers in your car yeah also them i don't know if you've been watching much f3 this year but logan Sargent, who's an american driver currently leading yes. formula three has would he's not currently affiliated to any teams has would be yeah. mad not to snap him up now like they've never had an American driver in the American team. So I imagine they will be talking to him sooner or later because I think yeah. he's looking like the real deal. It'd be really cool to see. And the there's, a, there's, a, there's a weird romance to it, isn't there, in Formula 1 to have there is, a yeah. nas- nationality driver matching the nationality of the oh. team. I don't really get that well, these days. but it's That's where Gio was supposed to end up, wasn't it? Gio <laughs> exactly, was... yeah. And to be, to be fair, like I, I romanticise the whole Gio thing because... He did perform well in F3 oh, and he F2. Was great. It's not like he was a bad driver or anything like that. I just don't think he's ever fully adapted to, yeah. to F1 as a whole um, or, or he's just been unlucky with the cars that he's had. Like I think Raikkonen's proven that that car's not exactly the best thing in the world this year, is it? Uh, lastly, for this week, we will talk about Aston Martin in this grid lineup. Um, technically, Perez is still contracted with the team. Um but yeah, given talks, how much does that even mean anymore? Like, yep. it's not beyond the realms of possibility for them to effectively buy him out of it. Um, by all accounts, Stroll seems safe. Um, and to be fair, like I've said it a couple of times already this season, I think he's um, he's been doing better than I expected him to, and he's 
essentially justifying his place in the team. Yeah, he's been having a really good season. He's taken him a, a little while to get there, but I think that he's he's doing what he needs to do at the moment. Um, and I, just carry on as you are, Lance. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I can say. Um, there's a lot of rumours, obviously we've already heard them over the last few weeks, but a lot of rumours saying Vettel's already signed. Um, and then another fledge of rumours saying that that's not actually happening. So we we still don't, we're still none the wiser as to no. what's going on there. Do we think it'll happen? That's the talking point there, isn't it? Do we think it's... Vettel will end up in the Aston? Uh, part of me thinks that when it all shakes out, they're actually just going to stick with what they currently have. I mean, it'd certainly be the cheaper option because they won't have to pay out Perez's contract. Mm. The other part of me, kind of back to what I was saying earlier, like... That team is being renamed Aston Martin next year because Lawrence Stroll now runs Aston Martin and he wants to sell lots of Aston Martins. And if that's your goal, who is going to be better at marketing your cars, Sergio Perez or Sebastian Vettel? I mean, I yeah. guess in a way it depends where you want to sell them. Yeah. But I think that's going to be a big factor in the decision. I mean, it's about a brand face, isn't it, I guess? It is. Like, four-time world champion, drive an Aston Martin on track, why don't you drive one on the road? It's it's, it's (laughs) an advertising campaign that rides itself, isn't it? Yeah, it it totally is. Uh, Yeah. Ultimately, the the longer it goes on, the more it maybe feels like Vettel's going to end up taking a sabbatical. But... yeah. At the same time, I think he's going to find it very hard to walk away. He just... Alonso-esque. Alonso never seemed to want to go, did he? No. Alonso found it hard to step away. Same um, with Schumacher. He yeah. didn't really want to leave when he did. He tried to find other things to scratch that itch and never really did, and it ended up coming back. Yeah. I don't know. I think the longer he drags out, the less likely it is. But there's probably a lot of contractual negotiation that needs to go on, especially considering yeah. Perez is, is technically in that seat for next year. Yeah. Um, I mean, why? as much as Stroll's had an okay year so far, I mean, if if as a team, the whole of the Aston Martin racing point how you want to address it, one Lance in that car, how much would it hurt them from a financial perspective of honouring Perez's contract and just kind of staying watertight with that? How much would it really hurt to have Seven Perez for next season before the car changes, then put Stroll back in, don't no, renew Perez's no, contract, no, no. put Stroll back in for the new car? No, I don't think you can do that. I think... If you do that, you take it. You're giving yourself a massive disadvantage because you're taking a driver out of the car and letting him cool off. And you don't want to do that with Stroll. Lance Stroll's but the last person you should do that to. Do you think? Do you not think that spending a lot of time simming the new regged car would actually give him nah. a head start over some other drivers going nah, into you need 20, seat time. 21? You need, you need time sorry. on. You need time in, in the race car, racing other cars on track, and, and in the heat of the moment. I think with. 
I think the logic. I don't think money is an object. I don't think money comes into it. If if they want to get rid of Perez, they'll get rid of Perez. I think the logical thing to do is to take if Seb's available, you take Seb because I wonder where Seb would be putting the car in comparison to Perez and Stroll yeah. this season. Whether he'd be beating the Red Bulls. It you, it almost makes you want like the kind of thing that team owners did back in the eighties, where they just invite three drivers to a test day without telling them the other two drivers are turning up and say, right, whichever one is fastest today gets the seat. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, just randomly running a third car for the best <laughs> of seeing how a yeah. driver handles Don't it. think you even need to do that. I think you take an old car out on a filming day, put Seb in it in secret and see how he does. And he'll probably be half a second quicker than either of those two. So We know how well secrets are kept in F1 though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But honestly, I don't think the you know the money of Perez's contract doesn't come into it. That we wouldn't even be having this conversation if that was a massive issue. I think that the, yeah, true. The, the bigger issue is is it, Chris sort of nailed it with the marketing. Like if if you want to sell more cars, then you need to be winning rates. You know, the old saying is "win yeah. on Sunday, sell on Monday." Right. Monday. Mm. Yeah. So. I think you put if 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 Sebastian Vettel is an option, they would be absolutely mad not to take him. Yeah, if if he's actually interested in that seat, they need to put him in it before he ends up having a year off, and then somebody else turns yeah. around and offers him a contract yeah, for the season you, after. You do not want drivers taking time out of Formula One, cooling down. You need to get them, no, no matter how worn out they are. If he takes a year out, he'll he'll not be the same when he comes back. You need him to be. In a fresh team, he'll find loads of motivation, and he'll uh, he'll do the business. Sebastian Vettel, he's one of the best drivers in the history of the sport. He's won four world championships. I, yeah, come on. Yeah. I think with a positive environment around him again, he yeah he'd easily be. I, I think the 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 naysayers that think he's lost it, I think it's a bit of a dramatic stretch to go it's to. It's a bit short He's in a very it? bad position yeah. right now. If they had Sebastian it, Vettel in that car, they would have had a podium already this season. I, I, I reckon that, that yes, away. he, yeah, he would be up and around with Max, I reckon. And when are that team ever going to get the opportunity to put a driver of that caliber, of that caliber in yeah. their seat? Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to happen, Literally said it? exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not. They need to go for it. Forget who you get rid of. It doesn't matter who you get rid of, whether you get rid of Perez or Stroll. That that's irrelevant. They're, Perez is really good. Stroll's getting better. But Seb- Sebastian's who you need. If you're the agent, if you're the guy who's hiring drivers at Racing Point, then, or slash Aston Martin for next season, then you move, you go through hell and high water to get Sebastian Vettel in that car. You move mountains yeah. to get Sebastian <laughs> Vettel in that car. Which is why ultimately I think it is going to be down to what Seb wants to do. I bet he's already got a first draft of a contract. Yeah, yeah. I think he wants it. I think he wants out. He's wanted out of Ferrari for probably best part of a season already. And yeah. I think the best thing for him is a new challenge at a different team. And I think he'll relish it. And I think he'll have a lot of fun doing it and racing for this, that team. This They're is a the great thing, team. isn't it? There's enough of a challenge there to to give him that desire, but it's also got enough potential to not feel like a, a complete step backwards or anything like that. Yeah, there's, definitely. there's potential there with that. Um, especially mm. if they can carry it into the new regs. Plus, so, he deserves yeah. better than to just kind of fade out of F1 the way yeah. the season's currently going as well. And being treated the way it seems he's being treated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to see Happy Seb again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Based um, on that. Yeah, let's do, let's do some Belgian GP storylines now we've got through that. Okay. 
So, my favourite part of every episode, storylines. Um, <laughs> Belgian GP coming up this weekend. Um, first storyline is, can racing? speaking of Racing Point, can Racing Point get the podium they've looked like they should have all year? Um, it's a circuit that you would say should suit their car, being a kind of a Mercedes, <laughs> having a Mercedes engine in it. Um, it's a real power track. Um, what mm-hmm. do you guys think? It all depends on how Max is on the day, doesn't it, and what happens with the Mercs. I think, I think it's a circumstantial chance. I think if one of the Mercs isn't on form or has an issue, or you know the the Red Bull doesn't perform as well as it has at some of the circuits there, yeah, they're in with a in with a shout. But I think that realistically, they they're still at the point where they're relying on something to not go quite right for one of those front three, I think. Chris, what do you think? I think if they don't get a podium either at Spa or Monza, then they're probably never going to. Yeah. Like they mm. they don't tend to be great tracks for Red Bull. They're yeah. very power dependent. I think the difference for me is the reason that I'm still a bit on the fence with it is because... By my understanding, Red Bull have made changes to lower the deficit that they have at tracks like this. Yeah, it's true. Which is why they've not had as much of an advantage at the tracks that we usually see them have an advantage at. I think mm. um, that and the Mercedes oh, you mean ridiculous. Yeah, like in um, like in Hungary, they should have. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. they won Hungary, didn't they? But they probably didn't have as much. Did they? They've sort of. Hungary? Do you know, I can't remember. No, no, they've only is Max has only won at Silverstone. Silverstone, that was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, which is a track you wouldn't expect to see a Red Bull winner. And this is what I mean. Like, I think that they've they've changed some philosophies for the next couple of seasons. I think just to try and reel in Burke a little bit. So, I mm. think that the Red Bull won't be potentially as bad as it always has been at places like Spa and um, and Monza. So, yeah. mm. um, my feeling on it is, I think they could have a chance. I don't, I don't, I don't have as much faith in the Red Bull as you do, Tom. I think maybe there could be a possibility that the Racing Point could be faster than the Red Bull at Spa. When we saw Force mm. India and Fisichella take a second, posi- or was mm. it a pole position they took in? Yeah, pole position. Pole position at Spa, wasn't it? A few years. Well, we're talking like two thousand and nine. Or 10? 10, I want to say. So nearly 10 years, well, 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but still, like, they, they sort of famously had a slippery car aerodynamically yeah. for a number of years. And I wonder if any of that slipperiness has followed it through into this new Mercedes design yeah. that they've done. Yeah, and I mean, Stroll qualified in the front row at Monza last year, year before, I think. Um, yeah. He got on the podium at Baku. It, it's It's a good... Tend, they tend to build good cars at faster circuits. Yeah, yeah it's long. definitely not beyond the realms of possibility. I think it's more just they, they're going to have to fight Max harder than I think they would have in another yeah. season. Yeah, they'd like to. Yeah, yeah. I can. Okay, I can. I can subscribe to that. Um, yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Um, what next in the Racing Point McLaren Ferrari battle for third in the constructors? Do you think? Let's move it on to sort of McLaren Ferrari. Where do you think? Where do you see Ferrari shaping up in this uh, <laughs> midfield fight this weekend? I mean, I've barely seen them shaping up anywhere in the midfield at the minute. That's, yeah. I'm just, I'm so deflated by how poor they've been this season. <laughs> Honestly, I've I've come to not expect anything of them at the minute. I really yeah, have. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like, like Seb probably does in the car. <laughs> I'm Charles disappointed. Been, 
Charles Leclerc's been dragging that car up a bit, hasn't he? And, and doing yeah. probably a bit more of it than he maybe should. A, a total light amongst an absolute dark patch <laughs> in their current history. That being said, at the point when you're a driver and you've come out of a corner and your foot's flat on the floor, that ain't you anymore. That's the engine doing all the work. And <laughs> Spa yeah. is a place that has a lot of parts of the track that are like yeah. that. And I don't think yeah. it's going to have yeah. a good time around there. Plus, it's a very long lap. And mm. yeah, there's a lot more opportunity to lose time. So I don't even think because Charles has been sort of qualifying fairly well and been able to get a decent start and like pull out a race result from that. But I think they're going to really struggle on Saturday. Hmm. Um. And in in competition with McLaren, so there's only one point in it between McLaren and Ferrari. Ferrari sitting in fifth, and McLaren in fourth at the moment on 62 points. Ferrari on 61. Um, is that gap widening or is that gap? I mean, it's going to widen one way or another because only one point in it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ferrari going to maybe take a chance to overtake McLaren, or do you think McLaren will move further ahead of Ferrari in the championship? I'd expect McLaren to be. Yeah, all right, it should be McLaren. Be you think? Okay, yeah. cool. I'm not going to hazard a guess on that one. I'm going to let you two guys uh, <laughs> leave it to us. Put your cards on the table. Yeah. Um, the next storyline is: Will it actually rain this time? So the weather forecast this weekend: um, It looks like rain. Says yes. It should, it should be like raining rain all weekend. weekend. Yeah, it yeah. should rain at some point at least. Uh, low temperatures as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting what what effect this has on tires. Whether this plays into you know which, what teams' hands this plays into. Everyone's. Obviously, the, the McLaren is a bit of a tyre muncher, as we learned in um, Silverstone in, in the, uh, the British Grand Prix and the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. <laughs> um, that could play into the Red Bull's hands, couldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, potentially. Uh, plus, Verstappen yeah. is very good in the rain, as we've seen plenty yeah. of times. Yep. As, things, as the forecast currently stands, FP2 is the only dry session of the entire weekend. But there's a long time between now and then. So, Plus, I feel like we've spent Mm. like a good chunk of this season saying rain's on the way and they're never seeing any rain. So I'm not (laughs) holding my breath. But I mean, you've got right now, we've got a 73% chance of rain at 3 p.m.-ish. If it's going to rain anywhere this season, it's going to be Spa, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope it does. Mm. Um, And with all that in mind, shall we make some predictions? Yes. Okay. Um, I'll take us through the predictions then. Uh, who shall we start with? Let's. Uh, I think I'll go first this time. Fastest in Q3. I am going to go. I'm just going to go Hamilton. Why not? <laughs> what about you guys? Oh well. Tom. Right. <laughs> so you're going to do something like radical with your no. first choice. I need those um, points. At the minute. At the minute, I can't see past Lewis. Yeah, so me neither. I'm going to agree with you. I'm almost tempted to go for another <laughs> Bottas pole Hamilton win, but I actually think it's just going to be double ham this week. It's going to be double ham. Of course, it's going to be double oh, ham. So um, you, you've gone double ham. Yeah, I'm going double ham. ham. Chris has gone double ham. So uh, I have to ask you, Tom, who are you going for for the win? I'm going to live to regret this. But... <laughs> no. Max Verstappen. Verstappen, okay. That's a very interesting one. Especially after one. what I've just With been rain, saying. Yeah, potentially a bit of I'm, rain. I'm trying to back up what I was saying before, <laughs> that the car's not as detrimental as it I was. I think it'll first. be a titanic battle if if they do if it does rain between Hamilton and, 
and Verstappen, but I think Hamilton will just edge him because I think he's got the better car. I think, yeah. that, and that's all that the right now. There's probably five percent driver talent between those two, and the rest of it is car. Maybe it's less yeah. than that. Maybe three percent talent between those <laughs> two. Hamilton having the more three percent more talent than Verstappen, and the rest of it is just car. So first DNF, um, Tom, your turn to go first. Oof, um, last year it was Max Verstappen. Um, <laughs> Not this year. <laughs> last race it was Charles Leclerc. Um, I'm going to go Roman Grosjean. It's a classic choice. It's a a classic, absolute classic. Uh, Chris, who are you going to go I don't know why, but Carlos Sainz popped into my head. Sainz, going with the gut. Um, I am going to say Ricardo. Oh, that hurt me a little bit. They all feel like good choices. Like Turn 1 at Spa is a great place to be in the middle of the pack and just yeah. be crunched into by someone. Yeah, exactly. Usually yeah, Persia. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number, <laughs> the number of finishers. My turn to go first again. I am going to say 17 finishers this week. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go a little bit less because of the potential rain. I'm hoping it leads to mistakes anyway. 16. 16. And Chris? I was going to say 18, but I forgot it was raining, so I'll... <laughs> well, we assume it, it rains, will be raining. If it rains, yeah, it might not rain. If. It's I'll all take if. one off and go 17. 17, okay. And then finally, Chris, can I have a random driver from you? Ooh, I can't even say. You can't speak today. Random driver from you, please. I suppose you can, yes. Let's have a look. <laughs> I suppose. Random driver this week is... I don't like this lack of willingness to provide me with my <laughs> random driver, Chris. Pierre Gasly. Please could be more enthusiastic, Pierre Gasly. Ooh. That's a good one. Um, and Chris, go on, you can go first, mate. Let's have a quick look. <laughs> so last race, Gasly was ninth last year in Belgium. He was also ninth. So based on that, I'm going to say ninth. <laughs> ninth. That's a solid... <laughs> Some solid detective. Right? <laughs> yeah. What's uh, what have Gasly's results been like this season? Let's just have been is good. Okay, yeah, seven, couple of sevenths. Um, well, if he's been one. any higher than that, I think seventh might be the highest I've seen him. He's had he's had three or four points finishes. Let's have a quick look. So he's got a, a seventh in Austria, a fifteenth in Styria, a retirement in Hungary, a seventh Great Britain. Uh, 11th at seven, 70th anniversary and a 9th in Spain. So, yeah, he's mm. been hovering around that number 7, 7th to sort of 11th region, really, overall, hasn't he? Let's call the yeah. Styria 15th an anomaly based on that. Um, I'm going to go 8th. That's where I wanted to go. Uh, go, on, go on, Tom. I have to rush you. I'm just, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to go with eight. eight that, that's where I was going to go. So I'm not changing it on the basis somebody else has predicted. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's it for predictions this week. You can week. You can. God, I still can't speak. You can submit your predictions at backofthegrid.com, and it'll be open by the time you're listening to this. So get yourself over there. There's a prize for whoever gets the most right at the end of the season, and there is a prize for a clean sweep if you get all five right at the end of a race so it's never too late to enter um and shall we move on to the next thing yeah uh, keep it-
can say now. But stay, but stay out. No, I missed that. It's so long since I've heard that. I've missed that so much. I <laughs> love it. I did this because Ash complained the other day, saying, I "Was it not? Did not make it in the cut? Use them." No, I I, <laughs> he just said I keep we didn't, to put we them didn't in. use them. So. Yeah, I forget to put them in as well when I edit. <laughs> to be fair, I do if they're not in the actual raw file. So <laughs> yeah. there you go, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's life, I've said. Is it disrespectful that Alonso only does the Indy 500 every year and not the rest of the season, not only to IndyCar itself, but also to the other drivers? Nah. I would say no. But Yeah, I can, I can see <laughs> why... They ask that question, but actually, I think it's the opposite. I think it's kind of it shows the respect drivers do have for the Indy 500 that drivers that don't yeah. do a full season of Indy still want to go and do that. And like, it's it's a deliberately expanded grid every year to allow for that. Like, there's you you tend to get drivers who have retired, but they'll still do like a couple of extra Indy 500s because it's 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 the race to do. It's one of the three biggest races in the world, I guess, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that pretty much sums up where I was going to go yeah. with it. Like, I think that the prestige of the race is why you do get those extra drivers. It's not like Alonso's the only one who does nothing but the 500. So I would uh, agree with all Chris's sentiment there. I don't think there's anything else I can add to that. Yeah. Speaking of, he had an absolute mare at the weekend. It, it, was a, it wasn't a good <laughs> yeah, race. Yeah, I mean, he was, was struggling for pace anyway, and then his clutch failed, which meant every time he did a pit stop, they had to push start his car which is not what you want yeah oh no that's a terrible time in the slow getaway you're gonna get there isn't it yeah um kenzie says do race do the racing point boys have a chance to challenge verstappen for the podium um very quick answer from me i think yes yeah if if not it's gonna be here monza or maybe Mugello are their best chances yeah yeah I, i think they've definitely got a chance for it um but they're going to have a fight on their hands because he's on he's on top form at the yeah. minute. These Which days. is what you want to see. You want to see a fight. Uh, oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Next, Paul Vine says, "Do you think Ferrari's constant change of staff actually makes their problems worse?" <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, this is the longest I've stuck with a team principal in quite a while. Um, they seem to actually like Bonotto. Uh, yeah. whatever you think of the results he's getting. They're a bit more open. Yeah, um, I do think the people at the top now are a little more into giving uh, the team time to change, but time will tell, I suppose. Yeah, time, yeah. time will tell. They're going to need the, a, you, a fair amount of it to get themselves out of this hole. Yeah, you're always going to need stability. We've seen it at like teams like Williams and McLaren in recent times. They've chopped and changed a lot, and it's only now McLaren have brought in some stability in the last couple of seasons that they've started to progress and, and been able to move forward again. Yeah, uh, and just that's look what at, you kind of hope for with Williams as well. Yeah, just look at Mercedes. They've been stable for a number yeah. of years now and they're absolutely nailing exactly. it. Charlotte Taylor uh, says, who do you think is more likely to outqualify their teammate at every race this season, George Russell or Max Verstappen? I, th- I think they both will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Simple answer to that. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Um, if if you had to pick one, I'd actually probably say Russell. Um, yeah, I think I would. Pure, if for no, no other reason than other than the Austrian Grand Prix, which was just an absolute like dice roll based on like who retired or not. You don't really see Williams retire all that much or have like technical problems, yeah. whereas you can just see. 
Verstappen pulling out in Q1 and just having something go wrong on that car. That Those sort of random yeah. things that will knock out of qualifying seem to happen more to Red Bull than they ever do to Williams. So Yeah, well, they seem to happen to faster cars because they're more on the limit than what the slower cars are. Yeah, that's are. true. An F1 car tends to be... When an F1 car tends to be slow, it's usually because they've played it a bit too safe. I mean, Williams have got yeah. way, way bigger problems than that. Don't get me wrong. But it, it's, it's, it's a reliable car. It gets to the end of races, yeah. doesn't it? And it even has crashes and, and survives them, So, <laughs> as we've seen in the past. So, you know, I think that... Yeah, that Chris is right. The, the Red Bull is much more on the edge in terms of performance versus reliability, and that's the car that, that that's the reason it's going to happen that way. Yeah, but that aside, I think your original answer of both is probably correct. Tom. Yeah, yeah, also <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, I, I agree with like the reasons for picking just one. If we had to pick one, but I think they'll probably both achieve. Yeah, probably more than likely. Mm. Um, that is it for this week, isn't it? No more of those. So. Thank you to everyone who has joined us. Uh, remember, if you want to keep in touch with us over uh, in between episodes or over a race weekend, you can do so. We are on Twitter. It's Back of the Grid F1. Find us on Facebook by searching for Back of the Grid. And you can head to backofthegrid.com where we can uh, you can register for Predictions League, as Stu mentioned earlier, and get involved in that. Or you can just use that to send us a message if you don't do the social media platforms. Uh, that is everything for this week. So thank you for joining us. And enjoy your Belgian Grand Prix, everyone. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from these two. Bye. Goodbye.